Yes. Okay. Super. All right. Well, with that out of the way, um, anyway, the the two hosts, the co-hosts for the Republican debate, asked the forbidden question, and it was not just a kind of a flip discussion. It was a very full-throated backgrounder in, you know, uh, House hearings, government witnesses, you know, UFOs, bodies, whatever, and they asked Chris Christie if he was elected president, if he would continue the full disclosure process, and he was he, he was actually kind of taken aback. He says, come on, man, and then he went through, you know, why were they picking on him, the governor of New Jersey, and I think he even made a reference to uh, uh, War of the Worlds uh, and the 1938 radio broadcast, which, of course, was set in New Jersey for the alien invasion. And then he ended with, of course, he would, you know, continue the process of figuring out what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. But what was really interesting is that a whole group of new people and new audience who may or may not be following the whole UFO thing on Capitol Hill and the Republicans holding House hearings you know, a couple, three weeks ago, a whole new audience was treated to a serious question from serious network moderators being a serious candidate president, the extraordinarily serious UFO question of the night. And he ended it properly, which was, of course, he would, you know, proceed with openness and uh, disclosure as the process unfolded. It was, frankly, a very remarkable advance in the public perception of this issue and to me it was kind of like the high point of the evening because of course behind all of this there stands the specter of extraterrestrial life and what are we going to be allowed to know and when will we be allowed to know it which takes us to item number four in the same time frame uh the chief scientist at nasa headquarters under which the NASA inquiry into UAPs and UFOs was launched before he uh, quietly retired and his you know, uh, position was taken by uh, someone else. He was asked uh, uh, the same question, obviously not in the same format. And if you read his response, he gives a kind of a nod to China may be to blame for some of the UFOs, I'm not quite sure what his logic is there because their uh, demonstrated capabilities is light years beyond any known earthly technology. And if the Chinese really possessed technology, we would all be speaking, except uh, Robert Robert already does, we'd be speaking Mandarin. And we're not. So it's kind of like he really couldn't completely, you know, separate himself from the standard party line But as you get down further in the article, he actually admits that there could be interstellar civilizations, there could be, you know, visitors that we are not aware of. And again, he was putting himself four square behind the new agency position that these searches and these explorations and this science must be pursued. Again, it seems to be that there's been a new hymnal handed out and a lot of Folks who normally just poo-pooed this stuff in their official positions are suddenly taking it much more seriously, 
which of course they should. Which leads us now to item number five. Something really bad is happening uh, off Fukushima. The Japanese, and I forget the name of the uh, uh, power plant uh, that is, uh, or, or I'm sorry, I should say the corporation that runs the uh, Japanese power uh, situation, the, the electricity there in Fukushima. But they well, have just, Tep- say again? TEPCO. TEPCO. TEPCO, okay. Well, this is not a government decision, although they're actually concurrent. But the, the corporation has decided to dump, I forget how many hundred thousand or a million gallons or something of radioactive wastewater from the plant into the Pacific Ocean. And you remember the old cliche, the solution to pollution is dilution. Well, that's only useful up to a, up to a point, because when you dump radioactive wastewater into an ocean full of living organisms like fish, like clams, like oysters, um, like whales, like dolphins, like sharks, the percentage of that wildlife in the ocean, which is then harvested by humankind and is consumed, is eaten, those radioactive nucleides, they don't just magically disappear. They literally are part of the long-term ecological problem on planet Earth, which is we have put far too much radioactivity from the uh, initial bomb tests here in in the Trinity in New Mexico back in 1945, and then the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then this incredible mad spur of testing that occurred in the South Pacific at places like Inuitok and Bikini and the Marshall Islands and all over the South Pacific, and then other nations joined in using the same, you know, ocean landscape, the British, the French, there was an absolute extraordinary fusillade of testing of major nuclear weapons in a frenzy during the 1950s. And all that radioactivity distributed itself throughout the biosphere up until 1963, when um, President Kennedy was able to negotiate with Khrushchev a uh, halt to atmospheric testing and then the weapons testing went underground well that in in turn uh created problems that are were of, of a different level but at least atmospheric uh transport of radioactive nucleides freely around the planet came to an end uh incidentally tomorrow night as opposed to a brand new show because uh, uh chandra wickrama singh who's going to talked to us about the first year of Webb was not available tomorrow night. He had other things that had intervened in our initial conversations when I had to reschedule his program. We're going to run part two of Oppenheimer because we get into a lot of very important and interesting detail on the legacy of open, free, and frenetic atmospheric testing of both fission and fusion nuclear weapons in the late 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s. So that's a program which we're not running because we couldn't do something else, but we are running it because you need to pay attention to the details that we cover, a a myriad of really important details, which uh, frankly is apropos to what the Japanese have now begun to do, which they're doing because there doesn't seem to be any other alternative 
This is why I keep talking about hyperdimensional physics, because if that physics was not relegated to that which shall not be named, but was in fact part of our daily experience, our daily lexicon, our daily well-known science, there would be no such thing as radioactive wastewater. There would be no such thing as uh, environmental ecosystem which had to be cleansed and with current technology it's impossible to do of the uh, debris from literally a decade plus of uh, radionuclide release into the atmosphere from unconstrained mad nuclear testing in the 40s 50s and 60s which leads us to item number six because number six is an announcement the Japanese is going to launch their so-called SLIM, that's an acronym, S-L-I-M, moon lander, and a space telescope tomorrow evening, Eastern time. The actual uh, time in both Eastern and Pacific is listed in that link, including some of the instrumentation that they're going to carry to the moon. And unlike the current kind of spate of, of moon landing attempts, which we're always going to get to later later in this hour, uh, later in the next three hours, uh, like the Indians, uh, this, this uh, landing mission, this unmanned robotic Japanese mission, will set down at about 13 degrees south of the lunar equator in a place called Mare Nectaris, which is the sea of nectar, the sea of, uh, you know, very tasty, whatever, uh, which of course is in Latin, you know, nectar. And it will be at about 13 south and 25 degrees east. So they're not going to be trying to come down through the densest portion of the ancient lunar dome. So again, in the idiom that science is nothing if it's not prediction, my prediction is that they will land successfully when they get to the moon. Now, if you read the article carefully, as item number six, you will see that they are going to take four to five months on a very, very, very energy conservative slow boat to the moon. So we cannot expect uh, a landing of the Japanese slim mission until like five months from, you know, tomorrow night which will put us in what, I guess December, something like that. Anyway, um, that is uh, an item that we'll obviously will be tracking when they get to the moon. In the meantime, we're going to be focusing um, on the space items just a little closer to home. Again, in the idiom, everything, everywhere, all at once. Last night, uh, SpaceX launched four new astronauts to rendezvous again tomorrow night, uh, like about 5.30, I think, is when they're going to rendezvous with the space station to take up uh, new positions for crew members. For the first time, I believe, in space history, four crew members simultaneously in space at the station from four different nations. So space is becoming extraordinarily internationalized and democratized and all of the things that are needed for a <clears throat> well-founded uh, space civilization. And uh, though 
the uh, Crew 7, which is what their uh, numbers are in terms of the commercial crew carrying uh, on with the uh, activities of the space station. They will arrive there tomorrow night. Again, you can uh, click on that link. It will tell you the time and, you know, uh, it'll be carried by NASA TV Live sometime around, I think, 530 um, Mountain and maybe 430 Pacific. But again, you can check the time in that link. Which brings us to the topic of the evening, which is the rover um, deployment by the first successful third world nation to land an unmanned spacecraft on the moon. Remember, the Indians tried with their Chandrayaan uh, 2 mission in 2019, following their Chandrayaan 1 mission in uh, 2009, to land an unmanned spacecraft named Bikram and a little uh, rover named Prajan, uh, and both of them kind of like mean the same thing. Bikram means hero and wise one, and Prajan means uh, wisdom. And one iteration I saw, it meant supreme wisdom. So the Indians tried again, and a few days ago on Wednesday um, morning at the pre-dawn hour for me of uh, 6.34 a.m. here in Mountain Time, um, the Indians were able to successfully land the successor to the Chandrayaan-2 Vikram lander, and they landed on the moon um, at a most propitious place. And if you tell me this is just coincidental, um, I will come and pay you a visit. They are literally within two hundredths of a percent. Let me repeat that. Within two hundredths of a percent, they have landed 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole at 33 degrees east longitude. And if you think that is a coincidence, obviously you're not remembering FDR's famous statement that in politics, there's no such thing as coincidence. So when we return, I'm going to introduce my panel, and we're going to be talking at great length about what the Indians have accomplished and what the Indians have not revealed about the landing site where they have for the first time ever become the first third world nation to land an incredibly sophisticated piece of engineering in two parts on the surface. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Mercury retrograde willing.
Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. back everyone on this Saturday night, August 26, 2023. Tonight is a very strange program, not the least of which is because of the subject matter, because we're going to unveil some things to you that uh, maybe a lot of you are not going to quite believe. So before we get into the thrust of what we're going to do, let me introduce all at the same time uh, our panel for this evening, because frankly, Um, going through all those intros with all those backgrounds when you can read them uh, under that uh, fast link items. You click on fast links to bios and there's Andrew Curry and Ruggiero, Robert Morningstar, Ron Gerbron, Holger Eisenberg, uh, a friend of Andrew's who is an Indian citizen, Arun, and uh, our friend Laura London. Uh, Kinthea, of course, is... uh, there in the background, and Keith is monitoring the technology there in uh, outside Washington. So without giving basically details on bios, which you can read for yourself, let me open the mic. And uh, uh, let me turn to you, Andrew, because you've obviously got the most interesting background here uh, in terms of your perception of the connection between the Indian uh, flight to the moon and successful landing. And background, hello. Hello. Who, hello there. That's Ron breaking in. Okay. Yeah, um, I've been here. I I didn't. Um, yeah, sorry, Ron. I'm I'm introducing Andrew. Just kind of be a little patient. We're having weird Mercury retrograde problems tonight. Really bizarre problems. So Andrew. That's okay. Are you there? Yes. Excellent. Yes. I'm hearing weird noises. <laughs> oh, see, tonight Uh-oh. is tonight is not going well. Mercury retrograde. So I tell you what, while we're while we're waiting for all that to die down, let me introduce you to item number eight. Um, after the landing, uh, the Indians have, over the last 72 hours, they have been releasing with extraordinary, um, 
I don't even know the term to use. They have been incredibly curmudgeonly about sharing any real-time data. Everything they have released on their ongoing mission has been recorded with between hours and days elapsing before the event took place and the actual release of video or an image showing us it actually happened. And that includes particularly the deployment of their rover. Now, technically, according to the uh, published flight plan, when the Chandrayaan Bikram lander uh, touched down at uh, 6.34 a.m. Wednesday morning mountain time, and you can adjust your clocks accordingly, it was 6.04 in the evening in India. Um, They um, had planned within three to four hours to roll down the ramp for the little rover and roll the rover down the ramp onto the lunar surface. The actual deployment of the ramp and rover, for some reason, did not take place for something like twice that period of time, between seven and a half and eight hours elapsed before, according to the Indian Space Agency, which has the acronym of ISRO, I-S-R-O, they deployed like four hours late. And unlike the Chinese, when when, when the Chinese landed back in 2013, their Chang-3 lander, named uh, Chang after the Chinese goddess of the moon, and their little rover named U-2, which is Chang's pet rabbit. I don't know whether he's six foot tall and white, but he's supposed to have accompanied her in the Chinese mythology of uh, Chang being spirited away to the moon with her rabbit. Uh, The rover on the Chinese mission, uh, Chang-3, which landed in the um, uh, Sea of Storms, uh, Mare Imbrium, which is that large dark area in the upper left-hand quadrant of the full moon. When you look up at the moon at night, that big dark area uh, to the upper left, like in the uh, 10, 11 o'clock position, that's Mare Imbrium, a Sea of Storms in Latin. When they landed there in 2013, within hours, they deployed their little U-2 rover and they broadcast to the entire planet this extraordinary historic Chinese development live, both on Chinese television, on the internet, on Twitter, on all of the various outlets. Not so with the Indians. And remember, India is supposed to be the largest democracy on earth. No, the Indians did all this in secret and days have literally elapsed before they released a video of the rover deployment and they begin with a very long block of computer animation, not with the actuality itself. That comes like halfway through the video, which is linked in my item number eight. So with that as prologue, let me turn to Andrew, who has some really fascinating connections between previous research that uh, our team and individuals have done vis-a-vis remarkably ancient Indian motifs that we have found in architecture on the moon far away from the South Polar region. So Andrew, with that as prologue, what do you think of the Indian landing 
and the increasing weirdness that now over 72 hours have elapsed and we've got one video of the land of the rover rolling down the ramp and out onto the surface and we've got one still image which has been replicated several times from the same camera of the same view as days have gone by and nothing else has come out of this extraordinary historical achievement by India, which is a country of 1.4 very poor billion people. And there are all kinds of uh, domestic conflicts at home within the Indian political structure about should they be spending uh, the amount of money they're spending on their space program when it could be spent for other things of service to the Indian culture and society and body politic. Well, they've done all this. And then in the most bizarre fashion, it's like they're trying to hide their achievement because in three days plus and counting, they've released one image of a small patch of real estate right next to the lander at the base of the ramp near the South Pole of the moon. And that's it. Your thoughts? Well, Richard, this, as you know, and as we talked about last week and probably before that, is a huge deal for India. And my friend Arun, who is a friend of the show and has been on the show before, will be joining us at some point um, as the proceedings go along. But what we saw, and I was discussing this with Ron, was all kinds of celebrations. Prime Minister Modi standing, sitting there in the, you know, the first videos when they landed, waving his Indian flag. And everybody's breaking out into dance and joy, and the streets are full of people going crazy. And like you said, then it goes quiet. It's like, it's like being set up with a beautiful, sexy woman, and then, then she doesn't show up. <laughs> like, well, there's nothing there. And, and Ron even said to me... One picture that, in yeah, three days. Yeah, and that the chatter is now becoming... You know, I said to him, I said, is there... Are, are the Indians asking questions? And he says, yes, they are. They're they are beginning well. to. In fact, I, I, I tried yeah. to copy and paste a long thread in Twitter slash X, but my computer somehow is not letting me get to the whole thing. So I only was able to post the original you know, poster who co- goes by the name of something scientist. And he, with great deference, kind of you know, like something out of Oliver Twist, uh, may I have some more, sir? He said... Yeah. Can we have some more pictures? One picture in three days. Yeah. So, Richard, this is either pointing at one of two things. Well, the most obvious one, Occam's razor, I suppose, uh, that there's been camera failure, some sort of problem, and they're too embarrassed to talk about it, or they're trying to correct it and then get things righted. Or they caught a glimpse of something on the floor, (laughs) and they're... They're you know. freaking out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is a place of Bollywood, right? Like these people know – there are more Bollywood films made, I believe. There's, I read this somewhere. It's bigger than Hollywood you know, in terms of per capita and the number of people that see the film. These people know how to present. Don't give me this that, oh, suddenly we've become amateurs. <laughs> no way. Particularly no after they had four years to practice and practice and practice since the exactly. shattering, you know, uh, sadness and despair of them crashing just before landing within, you know, like a less than a mile above the surface, 
which, of course, I've said all along is because they hit the glass. And they yeah. didn't know there was any glass there. Well, they knew all that. And when you actually look at the trajectory of their landing, their automatic landing system, which is really at the top of the AI team list, was deft in maneuvering left and right and back and forth. And they got down safely because obviously because of their polarizing camera, which allows them to see the glass, which polarizes light. So you can use a polarizing filter to find where the glass is. Um, they were able to make it to the surface. We get one picture and then with, with incredible lassitude, after a couple of days, we get short, like 20 second video clips of this rover, uh, Prajan, rolling down the ramp and out onto the surface. And I'm incredibly suspicious of that footage and I'll get into why as we go through the morning. But let me let me take back you know the helm for a minute here and direct everyone to go to item number nine in my items. Click on that. The left hand, this is a double panel, it's a comparison. The left hand frame is of the actual surface of the moon from the Chandrayaan 3 lander, Vikram. And that's the color and the intensity and the brightness of what they actually released. And the image next to it, the companion, the comparison, is when I increase the saturation just a bit to match the gold of the mylar and of the images taken of the pertinences on the spacecraft when they were in orbit. So since I didn't have a white balance, I basically used the gold to kind of balance the colors in terms of saturation. Nothing else has been changed. I simply increased the color saturation. And what we see is a stunning, not dead gray surface, which is kind of the NASA moon, but an incredibly colorful surface, shades of reds and oranges and greens and blues and obviously brilliant reflections. Look at that reflection up top of the frame in almost the center. And all we've done is to increase moderately, like about 50%, the color saturation. So this tells me that one of the first things that freaked them out was the fact that the moon is so much more colorful than anybody raised on a, you know, a, a childhood of a NASA imagery of the moon had any right to expect. Andrew? Yes, you're correct. And um, I know Laura had mentioned in one of our back channel discussions about, you know, the Indian coverage of when the the rover was kind of initially rolling down off the ramp. And she goes, oh, we're watching a video with video. But even in that kind of poor quality, Richard, you could see on that what I, I think is, is the um, – the panel, the the solar panel, still flat before it lifted up to go down. It was reflecting back patches of color, which was Monet-like. On it, you don't actually have it here. Um, Ron did a really beautiful. Um, hopefully, we I, maybe I can get his up. But it actually reflects back what the surface looks like. So it's another confirmation. You know, you're totally right, and I think that freaked them out. Um, yes. Well, it's I, only I, one of the things that freaked them out. So yes, what I want to yes. do is kind of do a round robin with everybody just commenting on their first impressions of the Indian mission and how the Indians are handling of it. And then we'll, and then we'll go into more detail because I've taken these images apart 
and a couple of others that I found in very obscure places that maybe actually slipped out, like there are leaks from the ISRO control center. The, the Indians are now revolting by posting stuff they're not supposed to post. So we'll get into all of that in the next, uh, you know, couple of hours. So let's, uh, who wants to comment on the Indian mission uh, that is not Andrew? Well, I'd like to thank Andrew. For, okay, this uh, is Ron, Ron Gerbrun. Yes, when, you, when you come I, on, please introduce yourself because new listeners may not know your well-known voices. Ah, okay, this is still Ron coming back again. <laughs> uh and uh who is our resident generalist yes you know what i feel about with 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 an actual specialty sorry ron in extraterrestrial archaeology okay that's fair i i don't think anybody issues a degree in that anyway not uh, yet but the, they will well we'll see uh yeah i see i have a uh well andrew was correct i think that the reflections Sorry, Richard, about the uh, you're worried about the bottom surface. I was worried about all the surfaces and thinking that reflection was as important here as anything having to do with refraction, because we know already from everything else that's landed on the moon that there is glass all over the place. I mean, in fact, it's enshrined by NASA. They it's you will find the technical name of that of glass that's produced under low gravity uh, and vacuum-like conditions uh, is so much stronger it, uh, than... Well, the, the, know, the, 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 the glass you're referring to is what they call impact melt. When you have a silicon dioxide, which is what the moon is basically made of according to chemical analyses, silicon dioxide in various forms turns into glass. You know, window glass, plate glass, it's got to go through some very important steps, but that's what happens. What they have claimed over the years, given that I think half of the lunar regolith samples by weight turned out to be little tiny spherules of glass, they had to yes. figure out, they had to figure out, well, where did the glass come from? This is light years before my, you know, glass dome model around the whole moon. So they basically said, Are, hang on, hang on. They basically said the moon has been there four and a half billion years. It's been bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. You know, it's like the rubble has been smashed three, four million times. How, how high can it bounce? And each of those little impacts creates more and more and more glass through the chemistry of high temperatures, high pressures, and silicon dioxide. So the, you're going to find glass on the surface. Mm. The problem is, looking at the scale of the, of the wide-angle image in nine, both the regular, the, the original, and then my slight saturation, you don't get regional enhancements of glass-light interaction on the surface. That's a projection phenomenon, like you know, showing filtered uh, spots on a, on, a, on a white movie screen. At the great closeness that I've actually taken this image, you'll see the glass sparkling and prismatically refracting light on the surface at very fine detail, but that's not the phenomena we're looking at in number nine. The other thing I want to point out to you, remember everything that you're seeing of the lander on the lower right-hand corner of both frames, they're in shadow. The lander body is between the sun and the structure 
the lowered ramp that you're seeing in, in these two pictures. So why are they so bright? Why is the rover with the panel, the solar panel folded flat for the time being, so bright? They have to be reflecting light from somewhere above the lander at 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole. What could possibly, on an airless world, where the sky should be pitch black, what, where could the light coming from to shine all over that solar panel and the other equipment? Ron, sorry. Gee, yeah, I was, I was just about to make a point. Your timing is getting more impeccable all the time. <laughs> the, uh, uh, no, the point is, and I have, by the way, seen the words both space glass and, quote, Apollo glass used in reference to the glass there you know, talking about the samples that were brought back by the um, Apollo mission uh, in official NASA documents. So I, I think it's enshrined already. They're, they're, they dodge. I haven't seen impact glass referenced for a long time, but there's only so many of those papers. Anyway, that stuff, you know, something completely covered with it uh, is, as you just pointed out, talking about the, um, uh, those super reflective screens, that you use for movie projections, uh, it, it has the same effect, which means that there are prismatic effects if you're up close to it, and that scatters away. And from any distance, it's simply brighter. You know, it's much more reflective overall. It all, uh, all, that, all that refractive stuff. Um, well, the, 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 the way beaded movie screens um, and they Kodak uh, came not Kodak 3M came out with the first beaded movie screen and in fact there was a friend of mine at uh, EG&G uh, Charlie Lykoff who actually helped them invent the beaded screen because when light enters a beaded screen where the, the, the white background has got millions of little glass beads little spherical little tiny tiny uh, well they're basically round spherical beads glued to the screen the light ray goes in, bounces around, and comes back out in the same fashion in the opposite direction. And so they're called retro-reflective screens. Same principle on uh, street signs at night. So when your headlights hit them, they, they, they brighten up dramatically as you're driving down a highway. That technology yeah. is, is artificial on Earth. On the moon, particularly depending upon the percentage of glass beating in the soil, it actually gives you incredible retro reflection looking what they call down sun with the sun behind you. You can see many astronaut pictures from, from the Apollo era where the astronaut shadow is surrounded by this incredible overblown, overexposed nimbus, a brilliant illuminated landscape because when you're looking away from the sun at the surface, the glass bounces that light directly back toward the camera or the eye of the observer. This is a little yes. different because without much raising of the saturation at all, the broad scale, different tonal Monet-like, you know, spectral patterning on the surface is a separate phenomena and can only come from above that surface, from some kind of, you know, stained glass window effect where there's something you know, physical above the surface, 
which is refracting light of different colors at different portions of the lunar landscape. If they ever gave us a panorama, the, the landscape is going to be absolutely shatteringly, brilliantly colored. And that's, of course, what they don't dare show us. Because somehow Modi did not get the message. We're in a new era. We're now talking about things we never talked about before, including in presidential U.S. debates. Uh, attempt three. Uh, the uh, Yeah, as you said, those uh, reticular screens that were developed, they do it uniformly. Yes. You know, what they reflect. And it's all even. The glass that is in those uh, putative little spherules uh, all over the moon surface, and some of it I think is just slag, uh, is irregular. And because of that, the stuff doesn't reflect in the same way. If you get any distance away from it, close up, you get uh, refractive effects from the light hitting the glass. But that's faint if you get any distance away from it. And what you get is something that is super reflective, which means that it's blinding to the camera. And that explains a lot of white spots on uh, a lot of space pictures, especially on the moon, uh, where it, it just overwhelmed it. There's no way to handle that, uh, you know, without calibrating the everything so that everything else is degraded. And that's the problem. And what you're talking about polarizing filters does help. But again, it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot because you're dancing things that are between things that are irregular. They're not uniform, like something out of a laboratory or out of Monsanto. And that's, I think that explains a lot of it, but I also think there's a bunch of flat surfaces that you see in that area of the moon from other pictures. Well, let me, let me go like, on to item number two. If you go to my item number 10, yeah. which is the now close up of the crater which is on the upper left-hand portion of, of frames number nine. This is a close-up of a, it's about a three-foot uh, wide crater, um, and it looks like a normal crater unless you click on it, make it real big, and then you suddenly see, both in color and in black and white, this surface is like none other that any unmanned or manned space mission to the moon has ever seen. That landscape is filled, filled with incredible geometric angularities, boxes and ridges and right angles, and their luminous glass. How do we know? Because of all the colors, the refracted spectral colors that are then internally, you know, re refracted in a way that the rays come back to wherever the camera is, in this case, on the uh, uh, Vikram lander that just set down 19.5 degrees from the lunar south pole. And item number 11 is a very large version. That is an incredibly geometric surface, which together with the colors is what I think is freaking out the Indians to the point where they mistakenly released one frame before they knew what they were looking at. And then they have completely shut down because they had no way to quietly in any geologically sensible scientific manner to explain what they're seeing. This is not a natural surface. This is an incredibly artificial surface. I think Andrew used the term 
pavement or floor, uh, you know, any term will fit. But it ain't yeah. it ain't regolith on a dusty, gray, dead lunar surface like we have been expecting to see from all the official pronouncements. And frankly, it looks to me like the Indians were caught completely dumbfounded by what their first picture, which escaped, shows us. Richard, can I cut in just for yeah, a second? Yeah, of course. Of course. Hog the air and I'll back out. Um, so for people to really understand, you oh, have a but, video. But, but, wait, 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 wait. We're literally one minute to the uh, oh. top of the hour. So let's hold everything. And then we'll bring in other panelists this morning. What we're trying to do is to decode from outside of the control rooms in India, half a world away, why the most remarkable thing that a third world impoverished country with almost one and a half billion people could have ever done in any of their recorded history, land an unmanned sophisticated robot on the moon, and then not talk about it, not show anything, hide, hide with millions of people congratulating them from all around the world. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and very appropriately, from Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. on this Saturday night, August 26, 2023. We're talking about this astonishing, stunning, amazing 
uh, Indian accomplishment of landing through great perils of Pauline for their second attempt in four years to land an unmanned spacecraft and a little rover on the moon within 19.5 degrees of the lunar south pole and at 33 degrees east longitude. We have been joined now by Andrew's friend Arun Salvieri, who grew up in India and graduated from Madrial University with a degree in chemistry. His interest in computers and computer programming have led him on a journey from his homeland to the United States, where he's worked now for five years in Spokane as a software engineer. Eventually, he transferred to North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where he now resides with his family. And coming from a country with over 1.4 billion people, where in some sectors the caste system still holds true, Arun realized early on that his departure from his small town of Tamil Nadu was a mixed blessing. Um, and without further ado, let me bring Arun on. First of all, let me congratulate you in absentia for all of your 1.5 billion countrymen. What do you think of Indians' incredible success? Thank you, Richard. A uh, big fan of you. I've been a few times, uh, but uh, this is the first time we are talking to each other. Uh, thanks so much for the congratulations. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's like pretty much everyone in India are excited about uh, Chandrayaan 3. Um, and it's actually a third attempt that they were able to land it. Uh, the second attempt on the Chandrayaan 2, they failed. Um, but I know that they learned a lot from that. And uh, the one thing that they really wanted to do is to land in the South Pole, um, instead of being on the regular spot, uh, they really wanted to try on the South Pole. Um, that's an achievement in itself uh, because the craters on the other side isn't really visible or not an easy uh, task to do. Um, more on, on that is like I kind of think it's more geopolitical in, in a sense that they wanted to do it first. Um, and even on the first attempt on the Chandrayaan 1, they always wanted to go on the South Pole for some reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you stick around for the rest of the show, you'll find out. Hey, uh, Andrew, you had something you wanted to add here. Hey, Arun, welcome. Oh, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to just... Um, kind of cross the T on your last bit of conversation with Ron when you talked about the, the surface, so-called regolith, that the, uh, uh, the, the lander, that the Indian lander landed on. If you watch the video that you posted, and, you, and this is something you and, and Ron discussed because Ron told me this, all that regolith was blown out and there below the lander is what's really the surface. So I just wanted to add that little piece because the people are wondering, well, why does it look, you know, more blurry in the distance? Or, well, that's because there's an area that that the, the engines blew away, basically cleaned it like a vacuum. Well, like a like a like well, a leaf I, blower. I, I think you're 90 percent right. I think the reason that in the distance in the upper right hand part of the frame, it gets softer and there's less detail is because you're literally getting farther away from the camera yeah. and the resolution is going down. So I think the detail is there too. I don't think there was that much stuff to be blown away because when you go back and look at the landing video, 
you can see that they had to get really, really within feet of the surface before that last frame in their landing video, which they eventually posted. Um, you, you can see the dust blowing like you see in the Apollo 11 shots or uh, the other Apollo landings when they get down to a certain height, like 30, 40, or 50 feet, they get dust. The, the, the um, uh, Vikram lander was much lower before they got dust, and part of that could be due to the uh, lesser thrust of the engines because the lander doesn't weigh as much as a lunar module. But part of it, I think, has to do with the texture of the surface itself, and we're not looking, Arun. I mean, have you looked at the pictures? That's not a natural surface, particularly if you look at my close-ups and the close-ups in color. You don't get that kind of geometry in any natural landscape, particularly in a transparent medium, refracting, obviously, incredible pinpoints of prismatic color from refracted, you know, dispersion of light within a glass-like material in a geometric form. Arun? Interesting, yeah. I'm yeah, just looking I, at all guys, Oh. All right, this, this, this is Ron. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, this might tie in to a couple of things. I don't know. Since I watched the, um, you know, initial presentation, the huge face of uh, Prime Minister Modi glaring down on everyone <laughs> like an angry deity. Uh, well, he was. He was concentrating or pretending to, but uh, let's say he was, uh, to the, on staring at the screen that was, you know, in front of him. And so therefore where we couldn't see it. And so it, it gave him this piercing sort of stare, which was uh, uh, lasering over the over the people in the control room, and I think it was a little off-putting because that monitor was four times the size of any of the ones they were looking at. But uh, in any case, the uh, one of the things that you did see in the midst of that was this little blip of, and it was the last frame out or two out of that landing video you're talking about that they finally posted. Uh, but they did show it at the, in real time, but only that last little bit. And I remember noticing, watching that, that the dust hardly got poofed. You know, it, it was so much less than we've seen from any other landing video. So, you know, for whatever reason. You know, well, that, because that, there's less dust because, because the glass, yeah. the glass dome, I'm going to keep repeating this until someone pays sure. attention. The glass dome over the lunar poles, for reasons we'll get into probably in the coming weeks when we do more of these shows, is much denser mm -hmm. than the glass over the near side where the Apollo landings and all our unmanned Russian landings and American landings uh, have, have taken place and the Chinese landing of, of Chang-3 and Mari Imbrium. The density of the glass over the poles is probably two to ten times what it is over most of the near side of the moon. So if you got denser glass, you got more refractions, but you got more protection, which means you don't have micrometeorites able to reach the surface without hitting a piece of glass and being stopped like a meteor shield, which I think is one of the functions of this ancient, ancient, ancient dome to preserve the surface underneath. Well, on the near side, for a huge, most of the moon we see, that glass has almost gone away now. It's incredibly sparse. I keep saying the, the consistency of cigarette smoke. 
But over both poles, which is where we've, everybody's been trying to land at the South Pole and crashing, except for the Indians, you know, three days ago, they carried the right technology, the polarizing camera, to see where the chunks are, the big things that will destroy your descending spacecraft. They also change their trajectory. And in my copious spare time before next weekend, when we may do a part three of this, depending upon what does or does not happen with the Indian imagery released this coming week, I will show the comparison of the two trajectories because what the Indians did on their second attempt, and Arun, I want to correct you, the first attempt was not a soft landing. The so-called MIP, you know, the impacting payload that Chandrayaan-1 released, it was not meant to land mm -hmm. softly. It was meant to simply crash onto the moon like the early right. American Ranger missions. The first soft landing by the Indians was in 2019 with Chandrayaan-2, and that didn't work because it hit a piece of glass. And you can actually see the lander turned upside down in the animations as it's falling toward the moon because what they did is they keyed the telemetry from the spacecraft to the displays in the Indian control room. So you literally saw their lander turn upside down because they hit a chunk of something that was not supposed to be, you know, a couple miles above the surface. And that's why they crashed. And you can see the shock on all the faces of the controllers in the control room, including Modi, you know, which was much more, uh, or should I say less staged than this landing where they were rigidly controlling everything so that if they did crash, you wouldn't get to see, you know, controllers freaking out, which is what they kind of did in their quiet controller way back in 2019. My point is that if you have a much denser shield, you're going to have much less impacts reaching the surface, much less production of dirt, chipped glass, debris, much less powdery material to blow away with the landing of the rockets. And that's all consistent with what we're seeing. And science analysis consists of looking for the points of consistency and trying to predict the next consistency, which we will do a little later in uh, this morning's show. So I, I'd like to have... Richard, I have a couple of things to say. I was just going to come to you because I want well, to have other as people... I want to have other people commenting, but don't make it long. Make it like, like about a minute and then we'll okay. do the... First of all, in the interest of accuracy, scientific accuracy, I'd like to point out you conflated two Latin terms when you talked about the landing of Chang'e 3 in Mare Imbrium as a sea of storms. I meant, I meant, I meant Chang'e 3. Well, regardless, uh, Mare Imbrium means the Sea of Rains or the Sea of Tears. It is the northernmost part of the Oceanus Procellarum, which is the Ocean of Storms. So terms are corrected. Oceanus Procellarum, Ocean of Storms, Mare Imbrium, Sea of Rain or Sea of Tears. Secondly, I disagree with your interpretation of the light regimen in your photographs, 9, 10, 11. As you can see, in the photograph 9, 10, 11, you pointed out that when you increased the saturation, it brought out the shine of the sun reflecting off the surface. That means that the sun is above the horizon and at a very low angle. Secondly, the ramp is deployed, it's hanging down. And so the light that's hitting the, the, the ramp 
is scattered light off the surface and a little bit direct sunlight coming across uh, the, the plane of uh, view. The proof of it is that the inner rim, rim of the frame is in shadow. The shadow that you refer to, the frame, the rectangular frame at the bottom of the ramp is in shadow in the inner surface, just as the crater that's off to the left is also the upper rim of that crater is in shadow in the same way that the ramp is. So I think that this is a scattering of sunlight off the color surface, which is hitting okay, the I, ramp. Okay, I, I can easily buy that because of the angle. Okay, See, what, what, when I went looking, one of the things I wanted to do for tonight's show is to list an actual number for how high above the lunar horizon the sun was when they landed, because it's, it's just above the horizon. Right. But right. none of the postings give a number. We, we know from the Apollo experience that they wanted to land with the sun less than 10 degrees above the horizon so they would have the sunlight in front of them as reflection and the shadows from craters and rocks and whatever <clears throat> would stand out pretty clearly to, to lower the limb you know, through manual control if they needed to. Yeah. Nowhere, I just want to congratulate nowhere. you on, on the color, bringing up the color by raising the saturation. Re, you reversed that old NASA trick. That NASA had the trick of removing the color by dumping the saturation right. way down, made everything look gray. Yeah. So Richard reversed it, and he brought it up. And interestingly enough, this uh, shade of blue is very close to a lot of the blue surfaces that we saw in the first true colors photograph of the moon that uh, released in, we released in 2018. So uh, we're getting closer to the truth. Okay, if, if way, you look at my number 12, you can see how, how the sun is just above the horizon. There's the rover on the surface in the original and then my slightly saturated color. Look mm -hmm. at that, that rectangle sticking up, which is the shadow of the solar panel, which flips up at 90 degrees because the sun is basically 90 degrees to the horizon, uh, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, to, to the vertical surface, and you can see right. the shadow. It's very, 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 very low sun. Very long. But, you know, you could actually do some geometry with this and find out. You line up. Uh, yeah, if I had time. Geometry, you could do <laughs> what would you say? I think it would, I would say about 10 degrees above the it's, surface. It's, it's 10 or below. In fact, yes, uh, the repeated stories coming out of India say at this latitude and they don't really make a big deal of the 19.5 to the pole which is crucial or 33 mm -hmm. east longitude that's not accidental it's symbolic it's the physics hd mm -hmm. physics so the indians know the same thing the jap the uh, the chinese knew when they posted their coordinates of their landing which was 44 north and 19.5 west What's so, what this, is this business with all these so-called separate space programs re, re, recapitulating 19.5, 19.5? Well, if you've been following the show, you know. They just don't think you know yet. So yeah. if, if you if – you, uh, well, anyway, go ahead, Robert. I didn't mean to – Well, just I'm saying that's some fun, fun trigonometry for people who enjoy trigonometry to figure out that uh, sun angle. And uh, yes, uh, very good bringing out two colors and uh, prismatic scattering of light. And uh, yeah, zoom in on eleven. Yeah, I think that um, I think that 
India is playing NASA its own game and, uh, you know, keeping things in-house until uh, the wine is ready. So it's pretty, pretty cool. By the way, no, I, I it's not cool. It's, it's, it's deceptive. They're lying. They're, Rune, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to besmirch your countrymen, who, of course, are not part of this. This is Modi on down. This is Modi's decision, who's much more like a dictator than a president. Well, I would disagree with that at the moment compared to what we've got, but uh, I would say that uh, they know what they're doing and they're going to eke it out just the way NASA does it. And uh, on the, by the way, the photos that they took from orbit are fantastic. And as I said earlier, I think that they've exposed a city under a tremendous amount of dust. And maybe if we should do a show next week, um, I'll bring those pictures yeah, but out. It's not a tremendous amount of dust. Andrew pointed out that in those last well, months, I'm talking about an orbital picture from another area. Oh, well, I, well, let's stay with the South Pole where the lander is because the orbital stuff is, you know, too, too big okay. a subject to talk about tonight. Okay. Let's, next let us, let us have some more reaction to the Indians. Very historic achievement, regardless of their being so incredibly guarded over releasing image. I mean, one image in three days. Come on. Who wants to join in? Hmm. I have uh, two observations. Holger. I made, uh, after the landing. Hi. Hello. This is Holger. Oh, thank God. Hi, Holger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was following uh, the landing on X or former Twitter. And was searching for the, the images, <laughs> which was quite difficult, and finally found one. And uh, the color was strange. Uh, it looked green, a green surface, like green selenium, a semiconductor. <laughs> and it was only until I noticed that uh, that was a bit miscalibrated, <laughs> but it was an interesting coincidence that the first Indian moon image showed green selenium-like colors on the surface. And the, the, the secrecy was indeed a bit surprising because the first image didn't show that it was me on the moon because you didn't have any context. Well, they're not showing the horizon. They're there. That guy, that, that, uh, and the context was missing that this image was from the Indian lander because there was, of course, some text written around it, but uh, only after I found some other image taken by, uh, I guess, a journalist uh, also on Twitter, who showed the complete control of the image on their main screen, and, and then you could verify that it was the first image actually the moon. So only indirectly it was uh, verified. And, but that... Uh, that strangeness about the secrecy that is following NASA. If you see uh, that we are still not having all images published in the years that one moon lunar flyby. They've only, given us, the, they've only given us this one view in replicated form over three days going now on four. And, and you think there's some legitimate reason for there being, see, it's, so against the cultural, you know, mandate, which is when you win big, like India's won, which has tried to, you know, creep out from under, you know, colonialism and the, uh, you know, the horrible things the British did 
to the entire Indian, you know, culture, you'd think that they'd want to pull out all stops. We've talked about Bollywood many, many times, and they're doing exactly the opposite of any intuitive uh, explanation that you can imagine for for behavior which is so counterintuitive. It's it's just bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Let me read you. Uh, I'm one of the people that kind of hang out at a place called unmannedspaceflight.com, which is kind of like a, a private chat room for NASA people, JPL people, space uh, uh, engineers and scientists from all over the world. And a couple of days ago, right after that first image was released, a, a, a poster named Marson 600. It's kind of hard to attribute interesting ideas when people are using you know, anonymous names and pseudonyms and all that horrible uh, habit that we've, the internet has, you know, allowed to creep into scientific discussion. Because if you really well, want to well, be... the trolls have scared everybody. Well, they shouldn't. I po- I've, I've never posted under an anonymous name, nor do I ever plan no. to, because it completely no. devalues everything you're going to say. This is Marcin 600 in unmannedspaceflight.com. Big congratulations to Israel and India. I will repeat a question that somebody already asked on this forum. What is the reason for this very strange texture of the surface of the moon in ISRO pictures? Is it some form, hang on, is it some form of image compression or is the surface extremely finely dimpled on a fine scale as if the rain has passed over the sand more so than other landing sites. Then he says, are there better quality pictures that haven't been released yet? Does the rover have its own camera? Peren, sorry for my lack of knowledge. And then someone whose name is Hungry for Info, again, a pseudonym, I'm guessing in science, we don't guess. I'm guessing compression artifacts are the cause of the weird appearance of the early Chandrian three imagery. Now, let me stop right there and say that is BS. You know how you test it? Robert, you want to tell me how you test whether we're looking at compression artifacts on the landscape or real geometric data? Don't be shy. Well, I'll leave that to you. Uh, Ron? Yeah. Uh, how do you tell if they're compression artifacts? Yes. Uh, well, all you have to do is blow it up until you're looking at the pixels. You can tell if that, you can tell if they've been re-registered. That, that uh, is definitely one way, but most people don't have that capability because they're not into imaging programs. Nah, these are never they never give us high enough resolution fa- pictures where you couldn't do that with a simple the simple way were. is to look at the images of the machinery on the ramp of the lander so i was going to say richard rogero goes to the Good head morning, of the class because yeah. when you because oh, because obviously <laughs> this is just a you know crude machine replication of algorithms which means the the computer does not know oh, this is lunar landscape, and this is machinery brought from Earth. So it's looking at the picture as one seamless mathematical matrix. It would not change that matrix 
depending upon what part of the picture you were looking at. So if you don't see the same kind of weird artifacty things on the lander portions we see, and there's a lot of you know real estate we're looking at, the solar panel, those those gold-covered cubes, etc., then it cannot be an explanation. But these are brilliantly educated scientists who, because they cannot imagine that there could ever in a billion years be an artificial surface on another planet that a spacecraft took a picture of, their go-to position is, oh, it's got to be an artifact. Then he goes on to say, this is hunger for info, hopefully there are better pictures that are awaiting release. Yeah, really. I don't yeah, I think th- that was a very Hang on. I don't I'm not done yet. Right. I don't know for certain though he continues. Then he says the rover has at least two cameras in front that are capable of producing a 3D image of the terrain in front of the rover. Then he says some of the Chang imagery has slash had that weird texture as well. I'm guessing, and this is really off the wall, he says, I'm guessing that in the new age of digital photography and image compression, the rough texture of the surface comes out much more pixelated than how we're used to seeing it in prior generations images such as film and or other devices that did not have the benefits, interesting, of compression. In other words, arm waving. No. He has no clue as to what he's seeing, but he can't go to the obvious, oh my God, it's a pattern geometric surface. Remember Sagan's dictum, looking at those first Tyros weather satellite images with those stupid image orthicons back in the 1960s. Intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of its constructions. Then, have you ever looked? Then, Marcino 600 says, Thanks. I also hope they will prepare some smoother views over time because this is a brand new region of the moon. In other words, he wants them to throw away the data because it doesn't fit with his mental image of what the moon should look like. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, I'm first off, I see I'm starting to feel like the uh like the supposed nice guy in a black site torture room that brings him some coffee once in a while because I I think you're be, you're being rough on the wrong edges myself. Uh I think they uh I have no idea what real. you just said. English, please. Okay, well that's a that's to start. Yeah. Okay, you're telling them they didn't do something and I don't think they planned to do didn't it. Didn't do what? Place. Didn't do what? Well, if I don't put it that way, you won't let me finish the sentence. I'm trying to tell you. If I you. don't understand, they I had, have a, to ask they the had a mission. They had a mission. And so the mission you think was the releasing holistic. one? You you think releasing one image in three days was their plan? No, 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 no. This is not a debate. Let me finish the sentence. Yes, it that's is a debate. Going to, this is a conversation. That's not where I was wrong. going at all. That's not where I was going at all. Calm down, please. I think this is important. They had a political agenda behind this, the people that are in charge of things, not necessarily the people doing the actual work down in the trenches. I told you they had the data there. 
because I saw a piece of that landing video that they were so tardy about releasing. They could have shown us that in real time, like a little glimpse we got of it in the control room with the dust going on. Uh, what they were planning to do was land, and they did that beautifully. You know, on an Olympic scale, that was a nine. Okay, I mean, we are at the bottom of the hour. I'm sorry, guys. See what happens? Yeah. Well, you'll Let be back. Just... You'll be... Don't worry. You'll be back. All right? Can so... I finish in less than an no. hour? I just want to... No, 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 no. We have to go. Sorry about that, folks, but sometimes we have what are called hard breaks, and you the computer hates it when you miss the time by too much. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We'll be returning to our guests and panelists and conversationalists when we return. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this. Uh, Saturday night, August 26th of 2023, The Other Side of Midnight, we're having a very lively discussion about the Indians' incredibly extraordinary historical achievement of landing on the surface of the moon with a very complicated spacecraft in a very complicated region, which I think is covered by, you know, as Neil Armstrong once said, truth's protective layers. In this case, uh, tens of miles of glass in various states of disrepair above their landing site. But then they do something so bizarre. They give us one lousy picture. And it's three days going on three and a half now and almost up to four. And nothing, nothing. Ron, I'm sorry I had to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, it's just that 
I feel that it's uh, it's wrong to be too unfair. No, it's the not. They have the problem wait, with wait, politics wait. is no one tells the damn truth straight. That's been the complaint. That's, okay, That's been fine. the complaint of our politics. Why should we not, you know, disagree with Modi and his obvious censorship of something that he was not prepared to grapple with? I can disagree with. Good, it. good. I I disagree with it as well. Oh, but good. I think okay. that it's only fair to to recognize that they did what they wanted. To do. And I disagree. Let me let me let, let me tell you what why. They wanted to let do me was hang on, Ron, 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 please. Yeah, well, what 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 there. they what they stop. what they wanted to do was make a big big splash in human history and lift India, this desperate poor former colony of the evil British Empire, to a status with the superpowers of the world. They are the sixth largest economy. The average income for the American you know, citizen is 70 grand. The average income for the average Indian citizen is two grand, $2,000 for a whole year. Now, in this yeah. incredible disparity, third world, first world, all that, they, they do something stunningly amazing and important that will lift up their entire society. 1.4 billion desperately needy people who need the kinds of technologies the kind of infrastructure, the kind of breakthroughs that going to the moon and embracing ancient extraterrestrial artifacts will give them, and they've landed in the right place. There could be libraries just over the hill, which Frygen might reach. And then they're suppressing everything because it doesn't fit the global deep state, thou shalt never know, we're not all alone, plan. So Modi is ripping the future away from his very people by acting like every other tin-plated delusion of godhood dictator and basically saying, this is what we'll let you know, and this is what we won't let you know, and it's part of something so evil, so malevolent. No, I'm not going to quietly moderate my language because it's unconscionable and it's unnecessary because there's a world that's going to land there and someone else will be able to announce guess what there's et ruins here and modi and india will lose see i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just saying that you have to fairly present all the evidence and i'm telling you that the political goal that they had in front of them goal number one as opposed to goal number two which is right a little further along goal number one was make the landing and they did it Perfectly. Okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me stop, let me stop you there. How, right. does, how does the world know they've even landed on the moon? How do we know this is not all an AI creation in some studio, well, in, some studio in Bollywood? A very serious question in the 21st century where a certain president named Trump coined the term fake right. news and has made it worldwide. The only India. way, the only way, let me finish. The only way to counteract the idea of fake news is to be as open, as forthcoming, as prolific, as inundation with live imagery as possible. So you convince all the doubters who still doubt that we, the United States, ever landed on the moon. Do you really think the Indian people are in a position akin to those in North Korea? I read something earlier today about how their science fiction 
North Korea all has to carefully pass clearance for saying nice things about the ruling class and so forth. They're not doing that. They simply didn't get to the other part. And I think by being a little nicer to them, perhaps they'll say, oh, okay, it's time to roll that out. You're kidding. They got the rim. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. They got the impact. They got the public impact from the perfect landing. And they're taking pictures. And as Robert pointed out, in the aerial or the uh, orbital shots, the, the couple of those we have, yeah, you could, even on the stupid uh, on the stupid clip, and I wish they'd stop doing those videos and just give us the frames. Uh, there's there are clear, distinct ruins that here and there, and it doesn't matter where on the moon they are. You understand, their lander is in a particular place to take pictures of whatever happens to be there. Okay, the, okay, uh, hang on, hang on. We are, we're hogging too much time here, Rogero. You're in Britain. You're not a U.S. citizen. You're not no, an Indian citizen. You have a perspective from, you know, across the pond. What are your thoughts about what we've been talking about this morning? Unmuting helps. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Uh, hello, everyone. And hello. Welcome, Aaron. Um, yes. I look forward to hearing your perspective later. Uh, I just posted you uh, into the thread, uh, Richard and Keith. Uh, a very interesting um, video, which is, uh, it looks like someone beat you to it, Richard, with your um, bringing the green imagery up. So that's the, it's a, it's a video of the rover uh, coming down the lander. I'm just going to backtrack quickly. People didn't understand what you were talking about earlier about pixelation and the, the image. Um, it's in, if it was um, the computer, uh, messing up um, the background, then obviously the the floor would be pixelated, and so would the rover. Yes, that's what not. he said. It would be uniform yeah. across the whole damn picture. It's so not. I just want to make that clear. Exactly, exactly. You're spot on. You're spot on. Um, I'm intrigued that the the floor looks like a almost like a Greek you Roman keep saying mosaic. Floor. We mean the lunar <laughs> landscape. Sorry. Yeah. It's a floor. <laughs> but, but, but no, actually, actually, it's it's the top. It's the top of buildings that are f- extending far below the surface that we see. And that's a whole other part of data we may get into next week. But no, we're looking at the roofs, not the floor. Wow. Well, Usually it, I'd agree, I disagree here. Go, Rujo. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, it's got kind of, if you were to try and critique it and say, no, it's not, It the closest thing it looks like is the either like a shale like we have in Dorset when there's an oily, oily gravelly ground that breaks up uh, in sunlight and it's uh, it's like a shale and you can actually burn it uh, or mud, dried caked mud. And of course, um, by your model, Richard, it's certainly not. And there's, there's no mud on the moon. We know that. So I geologically have no idea how it could present that image, that imagery. That's why you go to the color close-up and look at all the incredible internal Mm. prismatic refractions in the geometry, Mm. which even if, if, even if we'll grant the, oh, this is some kind of weird computer glitch. How did the computer know to put the refractions of prismatic color in the right places in the geometry to mimic to an extraordinary degree and a a geometric glass-like surface with depressions and walls and hills and 
boxes and cubes and linear things, and they're all sparkling, transparent glass. Well, I'm, I'm not in disagreement with you. I'm in, in agreement. Um, and that's why you need to go to the video that I posted from The Economist to actually show this. They've done exactly the same thing that you showed us in your enhanced image, except we've got a real-time video of it. And it's from a major, major um, YouTube channel with uh, 1.7 million subscribers. So I think what we're seeing is um, outstanding, profound, almost baffling, certainly anyone who's not in the, in the, the conversation. The only thing, Ruggiero, that's baffling yeah. to me is the reaction of Modi and the Indian government. If you want yeah. to be the, the 800-pound gorilla, if all of your professional life and everybody in India for you know centuries has suffered from British colonialism, this Sorry. is their way to come into the sunlight and to mm. become their own persona and lead humankind, as Modi said in his speech, this is not just a, an achievement for India, it's for all of humankind. But his actions, gosh, when was the last time a politician didn't follow through on his words, are belying his words because he's sitting on the most stunning discovery that would put India at the top of the list. The top. Yeah, yeah they're giving us a tease. And then nothing. Well, I think they gave us a tease because they didn't know what they were going to find. And they freaked out with the first picture. And there's this incredible maelstrom behind the scenes. Do we or don't we? Do we or don't we? Do we? How do we? Do we or don't we? In other words, there's going to be such movement in the next week, if I'm right, that we must schedule for next Saturday night, part three of this continuing psychodrama. When will humans admit they are not alone. Yeah, I, I wanted to get Andrew's take on the. Well, the well, we will, uh, hang, hang on, hang on. Let, 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 yeah, Andrew's okay. been on. Let's go to someone who hasn't been on. Uh, Laura, you've been very, very, very patient. Hi, everyone. I'm here really to hear what everybody else has to say because I have so many questions as to what's going on. Yeah, uh, there's. Uh, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just I'm How about a speechless. What's that? Toss out a question and maybe we can answer it. Yeah. Well, why with – first of all, why were there no cameras? Why were we being shown in animation during the landing? That was my first question. Remember, I'm a network guy, right hand of Walter Cronkite, et cetera, et cetera. I was even a little tiny part of the Apollo program itself through Grumman and the – you know, Lander Press book and all that. We had a rule at CBS, CBS News, one of the th big three, major, major network. Always go tuality, meaning if there's news taking place and you got a, an anchor guy in the studio and he's, you know, wants to talk about something like Severide or even Cronkite, the director would supersede whatever was going on in the studio and go to the live shot the live video the live actuality right before the landing they went to modi in this stupid animation and yeah. we had to hear off screen that they actually landed and i'm saying what dunkoffs what what kind of you know control room were you raised in now Especially was this an issue of funding no 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 of course not because all the infrastructure is in place it's simply flipping switches. It's all about buttons. 
You have feeds coming in. They had a live shot coming from the moon every few seconds, that time-lapse camera. And you can see it on the, uh, on the film from Apollo, you know, all the Apollo missions. You get lower and lower and lower, and then the, the craters and the surface gets bigger and bigger. And then the dust blooms out, and then they, they say engines stop, and the dust clears because it's blown away at, you know, like a mile per second or something. And then you see the surface. They cut in the last 20 seconds to Modi looking like some, you know, Vishnu god and a, 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 a very poorly done animation of the, yeah. of the lander hunting for a safe spot. Laura, your, your instincts are absolutely 100% correct. It's not how you do television in the 21st century. So did somebody have an inkling that they dare not even show the surface coming up to meet the lander hundreds of feet below. Yeah. And I'm still, I still don't understand the quality of the images coming back. I have, I've, I've shared with you guys before there is a photographer that I follow on Instagram. He's a dentist in Virginia, somewhere out in the suburbs because he shows photos of his gear and he goes, he lives on a cul-de-sac and he goes out with his telescope. Yes, it's this high-powered telescope, but he just rolls it out there. And the images that he takes of the moon are so detailed, show so much color. Why are we getting that from a, an amateur photographer in Virginia, of all places? Because he's and, not censored. He's not part right. of the damn deep state. He's a citizen right. scientist. And there is such a thing as freedom. Kintia, do you want to join our conversation? Because you said something very provocative in your note to me. Do you want to say it on the air and talk about it? Oh, you mean the fake news? Yes. That's more in relation to you making the statement that, like as though Trump was inventing fake news. As a matter of fact, I didn't I say. Completely... No, 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 no. You misunderstand. He's okay. the first person to term it in the mainstream conversation, fake news. Yeah, that's all I'm well, saying. I would agree. He, I would agree. The he, main media, he, mass media, is fake news. Yeah, but you can't make that blanket statement. You have to take each individual news thing and dissect it, and analyze okay. it, and I'm, contrast I'm not here it. To, to deflect what the show is, I think you need to continue on the show. Well, when you make a comment like over. that, I want to know well, why I'm, the Indians are not being forthcoming about what they really found. I, I'm not in a position to say. Okay. I, I, I think they just Richard, haven't decided how to do it yet. Oh, Andrew. Yeah, quickly, Richard. Actually, I bumped across the term fake news in a very famous book called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Oh, Robert Heinlein. Yes, and he termed it. It's very interesting. And oh, we know my gosh. Yes, yes. But again, science fiction readers are a subculture. When the president announced it at a press conference and has used it relentlessly ever since, it moved from subculture into mainstream, everybody knows what fake news means, at least they have different interpretations, and they know who they first heard it from. So Trump has contributed something invaluable that was not part of our lexicon before, which is that, yes, Networks, institutions, corporations, individuals can deliberately lie to us. And up until recently, nobody raised an eyebrow because it was like 
it was it was too weird to even mention in polite society. What I want to do, coming back to the moon and Modi and India, why are they caught short? Did they not do any homework about the real moon? If they if they took all the trouble of putting on that camera to see the glass, and they knew they would have to get down through it safely, how come they didn't know that when they got on the surface, they'd be seeing resplendent glass in every direction with geometry to boot? Or, Richard, or, or like, like Ron said to me last night, he says it's almost like, okay, well, we had the Chinese go up, and he mentioned, you know, there's some things... Um, I believe you said it was the moon. Maybe you meant Mars, but I, let's just say you said the moon, Ron, just to, just to fit the narrative. You said, are there some oriental things in the region they're at? And then we're seeing the Oh, floor. no, there is something on the moon. Yes. Yeah, yes, and then right. we're seeing this ceiling, floor, fallen temple, whatever this this is. And I have an image I'd like to mm-hmm. post and show everybody later. And now we have like an Indian motif scenario. The Russians were rushing up to do something. The Japanese are coming Ron said it's almost like they've been given some information to go find their cue to be ready for something. The big reveal. In other words, you're saying what I've been saying in various ways when I really had my conversation with Steve Bassett. If this release, if this disclosure of this new reality is going to be full-blown born on humanity as a whole, maybe there's a plan. Maybe there's a timetable. Maybe Ron is right that this is part of a bigger, not normal, petty political plan, but part of the big reveal at the appropriate symbolic ritual time. And how do we know the Indians are into ritual? Look where they landed. 19.5 degrees from the pole, 33 degrees east longitude. Robert. You have something very important. You found from the Hindustan Times much clearer video of the rover rolling down the ramp. Yeah. Talk yeah. about it. Well, it's very interesting. It's the clearest video I've found so far. Ruggiero's led me to it. So thanks, Ruggiero, for the pointer. I did a quick search. And that one looks uh, clear. It's maneuvering. We don't see the colors uh, that we saw in the close-up photo that you were analyzing. And I'm wondering, the rover has to have headlights. No, it doesn't. Why? If it's in the dark? Because they're only the... going to be there two weeks during sunlight, and then they're claiming that their spacecraft are going to die. Well, Which because is... it looked to me like it might be projecting some light ahead no, of no, itself. No, 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 no. It has no headlights. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, and it's cause supposed to die at, mm-hmm. after sunset because of temperature. Yeah. But, on another, but, I would like to say that you're being touched on a friend, Robert. I'm not done. This is important information. Then you jump in as you've been doing too yes, long. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do that. That's what I do on the show. Get, get used well, to it. Take a breath. Because it's important for people to know that the Indian claim that they're going to die after two weeks is probably also a lie. Why? Because That's if they, That's if, not what I'm talking if, about. If they, I'm talking about you're being too harsh on Prime Minister Modi. I'm not. He's very far from the space program. He's probably got 10 people between him and the photographs, and they have a board just like NASA, and they're going to decide when to give the public what you want. Okay? 
It's up to them. They pay for the mission. They own it. So stop ranking. I'm not going to stop. Thank you. You keep calling him a dictator. He is a dictator. I have a First Amendment right. When you call Biden a dictator, stop calling that language. I'm not objecting to you calling Biden anything you want. It's called, called, Robert, the First Amendment, okay, which I rigidly enforce on this show. Fine. I will will invoke the First Amendment every time I'm on this program. Let people finish your sentences before you interrupt them, okay? You do it every week. Okay. I think you should eat before the show. Arun, you're a citizen with an extremely interesting background, your life story from India to the United States and then to Canada, what are your thoughts on what we're talking about? (laughs) Uh, It's quite an interesting topic. Again, uh, as a very democratic country in India, there is pretty much like 80% of the Indians would agree with you that Modi dictates sometimes. Thank you. Um, And uh, again, he's also a popular guy in a sense that He's the one who is putting India on map for the past 15 years. So there is two different ways to see it here. Um, India is, again, uh, pretty new in a sense that even though British ruled us from 1600, um, before that, India was never been independent. It was ruled by Persians. Before that, a lot of small, small kings ruled. There was no whole India. British brought every small part and put them together, and and they made it like India. Um, the the whole Bharat was never been a one single country. Um, after independence, there was a lot of struggle, lots of poverty, and they brought it all up. But Modi, when he took over, um, he put India on map on every aspect of it. Um, now he's he's going to get elected even next time. So he's, so how he's, can how, how do you explain this contradiction? If Modi wants to be number one on the runway, like Buzz Aldrin once said, why is he holding back on imagery that will blow the minds of the world and put India in an incomparable position, connecting its own ancient Vedic history with the 21st century that's going to unfold when this knowledge is, is common knowledge. What's holding right, him there, back? There is, there is definitely there is some kind of hiding. I, I don't know if it's if it's something that they don't want to show or they they really want to keep it themselves. I'm I'm I'll be surprised because the next next year U.S. is going to land somebody there physically. And there is a Luna 60, uh, uh, Luna 26. Russia is landing somebody there. China's next year there. And two years after, India and Japan together, they are sending somebody to moon. So it's it's there is definitely a race going on. Um, one thing I can think of why they didn't show the last few seconds of the landing is probably is to just not show where they landed. I'm not sure if that's the case, but Russia suddenly brought Luna 25 to land it there and they failed. Um, well, wait, wait, hold on, I, hold on. Hold, we yeah. don't know any of this. Back to Kinti and fake news. All we get are press releases 
The Russians claimed they crashed. Do we right. know they really did? No, no one knows. Exactly. Right. Even even Chandrayaan two, we we don't know, right? If, nope. if it's landed, if it picked up something, or if that's what they were so confident about Chandrayaan three yeah. getting successful, right? So we we don't know if Chandrayaan two actually failed. If if it if it did, like how much information they got from that and that helped this mission, I'm not sure. But what, what I can say is, okay, we are we are at the top. Hang on, Arun, we're at the top of the hour. We'll come back to our guests on the other side of midnight and this very lively discussion. I'm so glad we have a Indian citizen with us tonight to basically give us an inside look as to the arcane. Byzantine politics currently playing out between the Prime Minister of India and the 1.5 billion people that he rules. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The site is midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. It's uh, well past the witching hour now here in the Land of Enchantment. The hour of midnight. It's now Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Sunday morning. Um, Before we go to, I want to go to Andrew. Uh, Keith, can you take from the Skype chat and post as Robert's number one item the brand new video? Because there's something about the video I want to call everybody's attention to when we get a decent copy and Robert, thank you for finding a decent copy. Uh, I guess Ruggiero found it, and then you 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 uh, copied it from him. Because uh, there's something critical as part of the what is the motivation here discussion that we're having. 
So, Andrew, you wanted to say something. Uh, uh, no, not really. I have a, a, a thing I'd like Keith to post, but that could be talked about a little later on. Richard, I'm just uh, sitting back and enjoying the conversation. Uh, Richard, I'm just going to interrupt. Um, my video is not the same as Robert's. Oh. I, post, I posted one from The Economist, and their video is showing the green floor, just like your enhanced version. It's a full one-minute video. Uh, you need to watch it. Okay. So, Robert, you did, you did not get it from Ruggiero then, right? I think Robert stepped out for a couple minutes, Richard. Okay. Uh, oh, he's getting New York pizza. Wow. <laughs> well, that's nice. Send, send some over here, okay? Uh, all right. Let me, let me go back to uh, uh, my items, and I think you can easily see what I'm going to talk about in a moment here. If you go to item number eight, click on item number eight. That's the video um, of the uh, landing uh, computer simulation. Then they deploy the ramp, and then they go to onboard video. And then at about uh, uh, one ten, you've got the lowering of the ramp uh, and the background beyond. And now here we have the, at 119, the little rover rolls down the ramp in this video. Um, you can make it bigger if you use the uh, 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 scrolling feature in Windows. Um, and then it rolls out and it stops right by that relatively large crater. And then it skips to where it's beyond the crater. Pause it there. Okay, you want to pause it right there. And then you want to, let me... Oh, why won't it do? Oh, there we are. I see. Okay. Uh, is everybody watching the video on your screen from number eight? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Look at the tracks on the surface. Andrew, you said before that the reason we're seeing the geometry is because the descent engines of the Vikram lander basically blew away all the loose stuff and expose this surface, right? Yeah. So if that happened, and the ramp lowers, as you can see from the geometry of the early part of the video computer animation, if they're literally within the blast radius of the two engines that were lowering this thing to the surface, according to the mission control readouts, how come there's all that dust capable of being raised by the treads the wheels of the little rover. Where did that dust come from? It was supposedly blown away. Right? Yeah, point. yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it didn't blow it all away. I mean, yeah, but, but there's there's piles of it. You know, do the scale. Yeah. It's it's inches. It's not you know millimeters. It's inches. It's like an inch of of debris. Very loosely consolidated, as we can see from the last frames of the landing video, which, again, they showed us later, not live. Everything about this mission, there's one consistency. NASA, from the get-go, used to do everything in public. It was what differentiated Americans and the U.S. space program from the bad commie Russians, right? They would do things in secret and only publish successes we did everything in real time, and if it blew up, it was going to blow up on live television with Walter narrating and me there by his, by his side. The Indians have gone back to the communist 
Russian model where they're only showing us delayed video that's literally days old, right? Let me propose a very interesting possibility for what we're seeing. Going back to Kinthea and fake news. I think we're seeing an AI generated version of the roll down with fake dust as fake regolith as people would expect and the real surface which is crunchy like rolling over shards of plate glass with the edges sticking up they could never imagine that they would show us that live which of course explains why they decided not to show us unlike the Chinese live video of the deployment of Trajan, the lander. Thoughts? Well, Richard, if if you're accepting the possibility of that it's an AI composition, then then we get back to the thing, did it even really happen? How do we know? Exactly. And I said that earlier. In other words, you have to be able to hold two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time, which is a lot of what's going on in our world now. Everything everywhere all at once, they could have taken real data from the real roll down. And then the AI was focusing only on producing little synthetic tractor tread marks on a real picture, which frankly is what I think we're seeing. The reason is the colors. Nobody in Modi's government in their right mind would fake a crystalline glass landscape studded with geometry so much so that even seasoned veterans at JPL on bulletin boards that deal with space like unmannedspaceflight.com are commenting in public, where's all the damn geometry coming from? Oh, it's got to be imaging artifacts. So no, I tend to believe they took the time, even with AI, at God knows how many teraflops per second, to construct a realistic looking rollout but the tread marks are fake. Now, someone else pointed out that the jump between the imagery where it's rolling down to the base of the, of the ramp and then where it is now in the video, which is up in the left-hand corner, there's a time jump. They've edited out something in between. And the reason that this JPL person saw it is because the shadows moved. Remember, the moon rotates once... Uh, per day about 13 degrees so three days is three times 13 <laughs> wait for it which is 39 which is twice 19.5 so if they literally took two or three days to create the perfect simulation i think that explains why there's no live video everything is delayed they didn't dare show the landing because god knows what they would have seen coming down vertically, you know, in those last few seconds, and they didn't want that live. And so it's basically a manage, manage release on Modi's timetable, and that timetable is being dictated maybe not even by Modi. And don't everyone speak at so once. So who else would it be? Would it be? The global damn deep state. The government within a government which is running human affairs and nations are an illusion. I've said this well, for, for decades. Another, possi another possibility 
would be some extraterrestrials who don't want the information out there. That's an equally plausible scenario. Now, you know me. I don't like to live in speculation. I like to know. I like to bring a process for knowing. So what would, remember, science is nothing if it's not prediction, even social science. So what would I predict? I will predict, and everybody can disagree if they want, that the, the strength of the democracy, Arun, of your fellow citizens, the Indian people, are going to get to the point where they will demand more imagery, more video, live video. And I'm hoping that they will be successful in bringing political pressure to bear. Modi's facing an election. He, he's, he's, you know, inflation is running rampant, carries position. And if enough Indian citizens make their voices known and demand that this chicanery come to an end, it's conceivable, if he is his own person, that he will cave to his own voters and he will give them what they demand. What do you think? I, I think uh, they'll, they'll release more pictures, but I'm not sure why they are not. Um, and I, I can't speculate why. Uh, of course you can. You're on the other side they... of midnight. We speculate all the time here. <laughs> we just label it as speculation. Um, Right, right. Um, I mean, nobody here except you knows Indian politics like you do. Nobody. So your best guess. Again, I, I, the one Modi is not the one who is controlling this. It, there could be a lot of uh, layers in it. Um, Modi might just get the briefing of what needs to be released and what's not and what and why they are holding it. Uh, it could be all in uh, Israel's hand. Um, so wait, wait, wait. When, when is a government agency controlled by the executive more powerful than the executive? Israel is, is, is more independent in a way that politicians... Uh, will have hard time uh, negotiating there. Again, they are the ones who uh, do the budgets on what they get the money in, in terms of what kind of projects they can run. Um, but ISRO still can control, can release and what they can't. And I don't think politically anyone can. Uh, again, that's the case. The other political party will be up in the hands if they get to know that this is what's happening. Um, my belief is there will be more pictures would be coming once the, the whole 14-day after over uh, uh, movement is done. Um, uh, again, my belief is there is so much minerals there, uh, especially the helium-3, which is the more important one, uh, even though they all talk about the water being there and water they can separate into hydrogen and oxygen for a takeoff from there to deep space, but I believe that the helium-3 is the most wanted mineral that they wanted to go there to get that radioactive uh, mineral. Hmm. Um, and there are different thank, other minerals. Thank you that for bringing be. that up. Thank you for bringing that up. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah they, they well, I respectively would, 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 would... It's not about the water. 
I would respectively, I would, no, it's not the cover story. It's vitally important to any space commerce, unless you bring in hyperdimensional physics and anti-gravity to have a source of rocket fuel in the lunar gravity field, as opposed to dragging everything to breathe or fly from earth. So in situ resources is a crucial part of any mainstream effort to develop the moon, develop resources to use, utilize, you know, live off the land, develop a lunar base, et cetera, et cetera. Let me read you another uh, uh, posting from uh, unmannedspaceflight.com. This, again, is someone in the inside, in the engineer, scientist, NASA, JPL conversation. Indian Prime Minister visited ISRO today. Three images were released by him, one of them being OHRC snap, that's the onboard camera on Andrean, on, on uh, Chandrayaan 2, which was tweeted and then deleted. This explains lack of media released so far. So this inside person seems to believe that Modi is the one determining by himself what is released and what is not released, and nothing could get released when he was at the BRICS conference in Johannesburg up until a couple of days ago. Again, yes, Richard, this is an insider's Richard, opinion. Somebody else deleted it. Modi didn't post the three pictures and then delete him himself. Somebody else is interfering. And also, I'd like to say... Robert, 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 very good point. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, uh, Kinthea made a good point that they're ETs that are the governing authorities. And I just want to go back to a uh, Nebraska uh, sheriff, uh, deputy sheriff who was abducted in 1967. And he said to the ETs, why don't you want people to know about you? And the ET said, we want you to know about us a little bit. And I think that sums it up. They want to make this a time capsule, as you said, and it's not the world governments who have the overall authority. I've often referred to LGA, the Lunar Governing Authority, which determines who can land and who can't. But I think that was a good point on the part of Kinthea. And uh, yes, that, that video is very interesting. The one where it just rolls down and starts roaming around. Very interesting video to study. Look Back at the you. tracks. Look at the yes. tracks. Mm-hmm. They're pretty deep. <laughs> and they shouldn't be. Because even around the lunar module, if you look at the footprints, which I have, because all the hoaxers are saying, oh, there's no deep crater under the lunar module descent engine. That's because the surface, according to uh, David Scott and the other folks on Apollo 15, when they took the long drills, power mm-hmm. drills, they found that as they tried to drill into this frothy, regolithic, turned up soil surface, it got incredibly difficult to drill more than a meter or two beneath the surface even with a lot of dust on it. So there's a hard pan or a solid surface under the dust. You blow the dust away with a rocket engine, and then you're at the surface, and the surface here is under the glass at the poles and is the geometry, I believe, of the rooftops of the structures that are deeply, deeply under what we see as the surface of the ground. So those those roller... Those roller things, I think, are AI synthesized, and with better data, we might be able to actually, you know, come to a conclusion. 
I agree. It looks to me like the dust uh, layer is about a quarter inch to a half an inch, and then it's really solid stuff under that little rover. But even that quarter to a half an inch should have blown away because it's only, you know, mm. feet from the engines. Yeah, I got but, no idea. but remember, we were landing in an area, one of the greatest uh, asteroid or uh, meteor impacts in the history of the moon, the Aiken Basin. And no, the, no, 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 no. You're nowhere near the Aiken Basin. You're well, on the you're on, you're on the you're on the near side. Otherwise. There would be no communication. Yeah, I'm saying you're within the, the impact on the Aiken Basin spread out so much. Oh yeah, the, the so-called ejecta pattern. Ejecta, that's what I'm yeah, referring. Yeah. Okay. But we're Thank not you. seeing that, you know. And again, that's the mainstream model, which is wrong. By the way, the moon, if it's very, very, very old, and some of those core samples that Dave Scott, at risk of life and limb, got back to Earth, they show incredible discontinuities in the radioisotope age measurements of the material in the core tubes. There's something different, radically different, about the top part of the regolith and about the stuff way down deep, like at about the 1.5 billion year mark. And there's a dramatic change in the composition of the materials in the soil that Dave tried to drill through with his core tube drill. And that's a whole other conversation. We won't, you know, get into that tonight because we don't have time. Uh, who has something to add to the conversation? Uh, as to the as to the regolith getting hard to drill through, I think part of that is definitely compaction. We know that the soil materials are very very fine, and the glass wouldn't uh, would polish them down would make it even worse. And it doesn't. You don't have to go far down in an undisturbed pile of sand. Punch through a piece of granite. Yeah. Okay. I, I can. I can believe that. Except we're yeah. not at a place where there's any regolith. Look at the close-ups before the rover yeah. rolls down. That is sharp glass geometry. Some of it could be intrinsic from underneath. You know, the architecture. We uh, could be looking at what I call a smart architecture. Meaning every building, every structure, every house, whatever you want to call the structures on the moon, the walls, the seal, everything is filled with smart AI kind of technology, which goes back to Arthur Clarke's, you know, when the machine stops. A completely controlled, controllable environment where computers, AI is running everything. But to do that, it's got to have connective links. It's got to have not radio waves or lasers. It's got to have physical contact for circuits to literally flash information halfway around the moon in milliseconds. Richard, there's another interesting um, uh, little story that popped up. Ron and I were discussing it. I, I don't know if it relates at all, but China's rover has discovered layers going down. Oh, because like of, the, of the ground penetrating radar. You know, they've got now data yeah. going back a thousand feet down. Yes. And they've got layering. And of course they're interpreting it as lava flows. Yeah. yeah. But that's a model. You know, everything yeah. is model dependent. Or as we yeah, used to say way back when, when computers were just a glimmer in the eye of the super rich, garbage in, garbage out. Well, it's interesting the timing of that news, you know, just as the Indians mm -hmm. settle in and then we get this, oh, look at that. There's layers. Oh, it's just basalt. It's just, you know, but there's another little piece that's put into into place to get you used to the idea that it's not just one big spongy thing, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Hoger, you had a yeah, comment. Just... You said something about fractal cratering patterns are difficult to fake with AI. Would you want to amplify that? Uh, that's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, if you watch the landing video from all lunar missions, you, you see first the, the common surface with the craters of various sizes, large to very small ones from a few kilometers miles altitude. And then it's uh, coming down. And sure, you see the craters getting larger in view, makes sense. You get further down to maybe a few hundred meters and they are even getting larger, but you continuously see new craters appearing then, which were invisible because they were too small before. And as you closer get to get to the surface, the, uh, the size variations between all those craters are the same. So you see as many small craters as large ones, and you cannot estimate the altitude if you just look at the image. There's no indicator about the altitude because you will don't have any haze like on Earth, there's atmosphere. There, there's no sense suddenly, of scale. There's no phone booths yeah, or telephone yeah, poles. There's no or, sense of scale be yeah. because of this fractal pattern. There are always coming new craters into your view, the closer you get. And the shape of all are the same. Even on the small centimeter scale, the shape are exactly the same as the kilometer size craters. And then you are suddenly surprised to see the dust from the from the landing. But, but why would you, you, you well, hang on, hang on. Why, why would why would you think why would you think that AI could not perfectly replicate that surface? Because all AI does, it's not a thinking machine. It looks at a million samples and then it averages. The algorithm says, Okay, I'm looking for this pattern. I would think an AI could perfectly reproduce the lunar surface of whatever information was fed into it, it would spit it out and you couldn't tell the difference. Richard, what he's saying about fractals is that they can, uh, your AI could make a duplicate like a 3D printer could. Right. But it can't, but it can't make up the fractal pattern itself. Why can't it? Which has its own. It's, uh, fractals are simply mathematical rules. You would simply use those it's rules. Not, yeah, but they're not just any mathematical rules. They, are, uh, they generate a pattern, and it's unique to each one. That's the whole business about them. And so you can't do it that way. It's, he's right. It would be detectable, easily detectable to any, pretty much any mathematician. Yeah, it but not if you right. don't release the real original data. If you release a degraded version, nobody can back analyze from out here what the Indians have in their own computers. Oh, and I could I could assume like every other space program, uh, they've got better stuff than they released. I'm saying nobody gives us the AAA stuff. There's yeah. always a, there's always a better one. Well, we're not in we're not in to. we're not in the priesthood. Okay. Anyway, yeah, and uh, we're can I ask a question? Yeah, by, uh, by all means, might raise some money. Uh, when uh, now that you've now that you've put yourself in a position where if you set foot in India, as long as uh, Modi's in charge, uh, they're going to arrest you. Uh, can <laughs> we take the mug shot and put it on coffee mugs and make some Absolutely. money? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. All right. That, so you, we've revealed your I, hidden agenda. I, 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 yes. under, I understand that this is somewhat tongue in cheek, but do you know that uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, who's the big Egypt guy? Um, 
Zahi Hawaii. Zahi, Zahi. He threatened in El Aram, which was the big New York Times equivalent newspaper for Cairo, for India. Mm-hmm. He threatened to cut my head off and throw it in a ditch if I ever came to oh. Egypt. So oh, you and Graham Hancock. Already, yeah. no, it was it was uh, it was uh, Robert. Uh, uh, what's his Robert name? Robert DeVall. Robert uh, DeVall. Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. he picked on both of us because we were both. Well, he. The point is that you know Modi will have to stand in line. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think you're going to get a visa to India very easily. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's that problem. No. Well, who knows? You know, life is long and getting longer. I want. Go ahead. Was that Ruggiero? No, that was Robert oh. making a joke about the visa. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I think we have a lot to look forward to. Give the guys time. I mean, really, Richard, three days, four days, and... Uh, I'm only comparing but the it point to... Is, you know, I'm happy to hear that uh, Modi released three pictures and then somebody deleted them. He didn't delete them himself. Somebody else is interfering. Well, mm-hmm. maybe or maybe not. Maybe someone gave... Because I think it was those three pictures he's holding up. Um, and the fact that they weren't, you know, on Twitter, or some quote quasi official platform, um, I don't know what the poster meant by withdrawal because I got three pictures from his press conference when he went to the control center and, you know, handed out copies of something, maybe his new book or whatever. Uh, there are three pictures that he and the head of ISRO are holding up, framed in their hands very badly balanced in terms of light reflections off the glass. On the with a piece of glass on the front of them? Yeah. yeah, they're not yeah. Of it. Did, did they make them available in a naked form? No, they did not. And I think that's what the poster okay. was referring to. Because yeah. it, it basically was stills from the rollout of the rover down the ramp. And by the way, someone in the JPL on, on manspaceflight.com community pointed out a large amount of time went by between when the little rover stopped at the crater with all the glass geometry and then mm-hmm. moved beyond it and did a half twirl. And he judged that by the movement of the shadows. Remember, 13 degrees every 24 Earth hours. So they spent a lot of time analyzing with their instrumentation on the rover, whatever's going on in that crater with all the geometry and the glass and I wonder when we'll ever know what they found. And we're now at the bottom of the hour. So everybody kind of hold it there. We're going to uh, uh, come back to our conversation shortly. Very lively this morning. We've got one half hour to go. What we might do is open the phone lines and have some of our audience join this lively conversation. Or we might not. Everybody is... Uh, kind of behind the scenes thinking about uh, what they might want to uh, talk about next. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. 
Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. Last half hour to go on the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, Sunday morning edition. We've been having, as you may have noticed, if you've been following the show, which I presume you have if you're here, a really spirited discussion. I love spirited discussions because that's when truth comes out, when platitudes and, you know, uh, polemics and scripts and all that kind of fall by the wayside. And under the best of circumstances, you get to hear what people really feel and think. And my feelings are that Modi is playing a very complicated 4D chess game with the rest of the movers and shakers of the world. Because instead of doing what the naive geopolitical assessment would have, which is you're a head of a third world country, you've done something none of the big guys can be able to do yet because polls are really hard, and you found something extraordinary, and then you sit on it? No. Unless Kinthea and some of us other conspiratorialists are right, there's someone else off stage who is basically directing this play. They could be on Earth, or they could be off Earth. Members of the distant family. The breakaways, maybe? Is this in... uh... Anyway, that's a long, complicated conversation. So let's return to our conversation here, and I'll open the phone lines and give out the number for our listeners to join the party. Okay, let me go and find that number, and I'll give that to everybody in a second here. Anybody have anything to say to Phil? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, you referred to uh, Modi and India, and now as a third world nation, I think India has been promoted by landing on the moon. I think India has joined first world nations, and I'm not talking about economically. I'm talking about scientifically, philosophically. Uh, they oh, have. Oh, they have been there on that on that level. World. I I I I totally agree, Robert. Because they were, they were doing things with NASA, the ATS satellite, Applications Technology Satellite, which was a big satellite dish we put in orbit. NASA did back in the uh, 60s, and I was part of the experiment at Goddard. And we literally were beaming state-of-the-art television to Indian villages where little Indian kids on bicycles pedaling generators kept the big 
TV in the middle of the village by the fire, powered by human pedal power so they could receive on their satellite dish the signals that were being broadcast from uh, Islamabad to India by way of NASA deep, deep, deep ISRO cooperation. Uh, Back when a guy named Vikram, who was the founder of ISRO, was actually running the Indian Space Agency. So I, I, I firmly believe that we're looking at a, you know, kind of like, you know, a two-tier culture where one part of society has spaceships and the other has ox carts and, and cows. I mean, that's Let me the... That I think that there's somebody very happy in heaven tonight, and that is Arthur C. Clarke. Absolutely. All of this, that satellite concept of his has opened up the universe to all of us. We wouldn't be able to see anything on the far side of the moon. So kudos to Arthur C. Clarke. Okay, let me give out the number. If if you want to join our conversation uh, in our global audience, area code uh, 917-889-8802. 8802. So if you want to join us, by all means, feel free. I'll keep looking at the screen, and so will Keith. So we've got about a half hour, give or take. What have we not said that needs to be said before the end of the show tonight? <laughs> thinking, thinking, uh, thinking. Uh, no, actually, I have a, I have a, uh, a very Western, understandable metaphor for the political situation involved here, and it involves casting Modi in the uh, position. This is not a comment on his abilities or authority or anything like that. Heavens no. But uh, in the comic strip Dilbert, which is the best view of bureaucracy that we have, one of the characters is the pointy-haired boss. He's in charge of everything. He can have anything done, however ridiculous or improper it may be, that he wants to, but he has little or no idea what's actually going on at any given time. Uh, he's just He just happens to be the boss, and so he uses it, <laughs> and mostly to keep himself in power. And uh, I, that's the position that we're looking at here, I think, because as far as I know, Modi is not deeply in, uh, embedded in um, engineering or uh, space uh, configurations or anything else. He's just hiring and firing people and doing things that are politically beneficial to him and his party. But, but, uh, but Ron, I'm going to catch you there. Remember, <laughs> well, Go just for a few it. years few years ago when he was sort of really starting to bluster like like Arun said do all things Indian especially Hindu um, he was hearkening back to the ancient Vedic traditions and asking his scientists to dig deeply into well let's fly the Vimanas again basically that's what he was saying let's get the hybrids happening Arun am I not wrong about that who, who has not done that uh, <laughs> German yeah, I think the same thing. Like, yeah. uh, Russians chasing the same thing. So it's it's not just India. So uh, the whole Vedas talk not just about flying vimanas. They, there's so much medical information, right. that advanced technologies that we 
don't even have knowledge about so See, it's a, uh, Arun, there's sorry a fourth to, dimension that they talk about that sorry to interrupt but the way i'm looking at modi from outside as opposed to you who, of course are looking at him from the inside modi interprets indian mythology as history yes and if you if you look at history mm-hmm. and look at the whole sweep of the the vedas the bhagavad gita the Vedic cycle, all of that. Indians of all cultures on this planet are closest to the truth if they only take it out of the realm of mythology and say, this is what we used to do a very, very, very long time ago, and I'm thinking on the order of like 30,000 years. If Modi really believes that, and he's sitting in the catbird seat as the only nation now in the place to confirm that, I go now to my time-release aspirin model where they're holding back for the big reveal, either with or without the West or the deep state's permission, or maybe even someone up above, you know, the breakaways, other ETs, whatever. The Modi has the bit in his teeth, but he's going to control it so it has the biggest bang for the buck, and instead of dribbling it out and letting people like us, you know, kind of comment from the, from the peanut gallery, there's going to be either before or after the two-week period when the sun sets and the Indians have kept saying, it's going to die, Jim. It's going to die. It's going to die. There's no reason why, you know, Vikram and Prayan should die after sunset. As I was going to say hours ago, which is why I'll try to interrupt, back in 1966, when the first surveyor soft landed on the moon, and I was at NBC, by fortuitous circumstances, covering the landing for my first major network, we thought it would die in about two weeks. And it didn't. And it kept every two weeks, it kept reviving a technology based on tubes and transformers and you know really clunky electronics and very there was no insulation the 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 glass on the electronic boxes shattered because of the cold differential between day and night on the moon which is a range of 500 degrees the temperature at the poles is much more even between daytime and night so there's no incredible shock of drastic temperature swings furthermore the electronics are all solid state they obviously knew how to build an insulation they could you know where the batteries run trickle charge and just keep things at some low level maybe 100 below zero but we have electronics at the south pole working fine at over 100 below zero the point is is it possible that this 14-day two-week drop dead date for India's stunning achievement is only for public consumption. And what they'll be doing in this two weeks is the public science, what they're going to do from two weeks on, on and on and on, is the secret Modi-driven Vedic history confirmation of their own previous culture on the moon going back at least 30 years. 
Richard. Yes. This is Robert. Modi is only echoing what Indira Gandhi started way back in 1984. And I remember reading her address to the, what, the Indian Academy of Science, telling them how great India was in ancient times, extolling their science and their virtues. And that's when she directed all of them to go and scan and scour Mahabharata, Upanishad, mm-hmm. Vedic literature, and recover the technology that produced Vamanas, those remarkable uh, healing regimens. I think that she, and if I remember space. correctly, I think she started Israel. I mean, it was unthinkable in, back in those days for India to have a space that. program. Yeah, and remember that the Mahabharata tells a story of a war between uh, Earth and the moon. Yes. So this goes back a very, very long time. I think all of us need to dive back into Mahabharata and Upanishads ourselves as Westerners and see what we can glean from that. But I remember her, and it's really weird. I just looked her up, and I was trying to remember when she was assassinated. Halloween of 1984. Oh, my. Isn't that something? They would choose Halloween to do the deed. Little, little too coincidental. When she rests in peace, and I think she's up there celebrating with Arthur C. Clarke. Of course. Arun, Arun, did did you tell me that you met her? I thought you you did. I'm not me, Dion. You didn't meet her? Dion, Dion uh, said he met. Oh, it was D. Oh, okay, it was another friend of ours. Okay, okay. Sorry, guys. <laughs> an aside. Never mind, as church lady used to say. <laughs> well, it's actually my, my my Bulgarian friend who was a commander in the Bulgarian Navy way back in the old, you know, Soviet times, and he, yeah, Aruna's right. He says that he met her. He, he was like a student, and she came to visit Bulgaria or something, ah. Arun, but yeah, very strange. Arun, given that we have the incredible honor of having you with us tonight in a culture which is almost as alien as we can imagine, you know, not meeting ETs for lunch, what do you think is going to happen next? Are any of our speculations, you know, tickling the part of you that says, okay, that, that kind of resonates, that feels right to me? Um, there, there's definitely going to be some revelation in whatever they are going to find there. Um, and being an Indian and um, with uh, so many scientists in this project, I would definitely think that that will come out. Well, um, well, wait, wait, it's wait, not... wait, will it come out officially or will, because I'm, I'm seeing when I read all the posts, there is a rising wonderment on the part of the emailers and the bloggers and the people who are writing in these chats like like i read you the one before where are the other images where's the other picture where's the other so will there be a leak or leaks from professionals inside that didn't get the memo and don't understand why india is not crowing to the rooftops they've done with real amazing pictures Right, more, more like the leaks. I don't know if officially ISRO is going to disclose everything, um, even if they find anything there. So um, They've already found belief, something. Look at the pictures. Right, right. <laughs> There's not many pictures, but that might be the reason that they're holding off on that, right? So we, uh, we will get to know soon. Um, and I still believe that we have to wait till this 14-day period that they talk about. Um, then once we get that pictures or 
some kind of a revelation would definitely will, will be there. Well, remember, then there's 14 days of darkness. Yeah, night follows. The, yes. You sound like the uh, hippy dippy weatherman. <laughs> hey, oh, Richard. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Storms over. Richard. Storms over. And Ron, anybody. He, Could he, this also, he's Richard. Okay, thanks. Could this also be paralleling what we've seen with uh, all the fuss about Antarctica? You know how, what was it, countries that are on the same latitude or something are claiming a territory and then or there was something about that long ago and are we seeing a race to sort of find little claim spots like it's a new gold rush on the moon could that be part of this well now that's interesting because or very interesting we've got about 15 minutes to follow up suppose modi's operating at a very strict nationalist and he is literally going to try to make claim to real estate 19.5 degrees from the lunar South Pole. If there are libraries there buried under this reticulated, incredibly geometric glass surface, maybe prion, which, by the way, do you know what its real meaning is? People say glibly um, uh, wisdom. That's not the full meaning of this term for the rover. The real translation from the Hindi is supreme wisdom. Supreme wisdom. Hmm. If you're looking for the Asgard. Exactly. If you're looking (laughs) to connect with your ancient history that most of the planet by design thinks is mythology and you know it's not, it's part of your incredible tradition and you're seeking to reconnect to the supreme wisdom behind your entire culture? Arun, am I barking up the wrong uh, banyan tree? No, no, I don't think so. I think you're right. Wow. Hey, can I say something personal to Arun? Of course you can. Arun, it's a pleasure to meet you. Everyone on this program knows that I have studied Tai Chi and Kung Fu for 50 years. But only Andrew knows that I'm one of the few people in the Western, men in the Western world who has studied Bharatnatyam. Oh, and my. So, yes, sir. My wife. And I want to remember my teacher. His name was Bhaskar Roy Chowdhury. And in the chat, I put his album of the music, the dances that we used to dance. So I used to dance as Krishna, as Shiva, as Vishnu. And I love it's one of the greatest art forms the world has ever known. And I feel very privileged to to experience India from the inside. Talk about India from the inside. Dance. Cool. Dance to Shiva, Krishna. Yes, Vishnu. Andrew always put the Shiva dance. That, that's what we call cosmic dance. Yeah. Uh, well, by the way, by the, the way, the thing they put in there is, is a very energizing a piece of music. It's very short, so you might want to play it for the end of the show to honor India, Bhaskar, and Ramakrishna, and Vishnu, and Shiva, all of them. By the way, he tries for the fourth time. Modi, when he was at ISRO, you know, yesterday or the day before, he officially named the two landing sites for Chandrayaan 1 and Chandrayaan 3 after ancient Hindu mythology and the Chandrayaan 3 site now officially is called the uh, 
Shiva Shakti landing site. And as Arun may know, these are incredibly important personas in the Indian mythologies. Richard, may I comment on that? Because I think that Barbara Honecker and I have been discovering, uncovering a new secret religion among scientists. And I believe that that's why Shiva statue is at CERN. And it's, it's something that we're going to discuss on Monday, I hope, at 11 o'clock on my show. But I believe that we are discerning the emergence or the reemergence of a very ancient religion which science is adopting as its secret. Unless it's been there all along and it's just now time to come out because of the plan with a capital P. Yeah, I think so. I think we're talking about that may have been uh, born with the atomic bomb when uh, Oppenheimer uh, made the statement. We are uh, on exactly the same wavelength. That's why in the future, maybe a week or two, we're going to do Oppenheimer part three, and we're going to get into all this with data that I have uncovered, and including answers to some huge geopolitical questions that were raised on part two of Oppenheimer, which again, for those of you who may have come in late, we're going to be redoing deliberately Oppenheimer part two tomorrow night, which has a real background swath of information. Uh, Ray, the Vedas, Ray Oppenheimer's preoccupation with ancient Indian mythology, why he quoted um, Shiva in the persona of, uh, no, it wasn't she, it was Vishnu, in the persona of Krishnu, et cetera, et cetera. So that will kind of bring it to the fore. And in the next week or two, we'll do another dedicated three hours on exactly what Robert just raised. Very perceptive, Robert. Very. Hey, hey, Robert and Richard both, you just covered something that unlocked a uh, bizarre thought uh, in my head. Not that I don't have lots of them, but the, uh, <laughs> does any, anyone remember anyone remembers Xena? Or your princess? Yeah, of course. Loved it. Yeah. Okay. And they, after, after they, they didn't really expect to last forever, but after she was a spinoff from Hercules after yep. all. But they, after a couple of seasons, they said, oh my God, this is going to go on forever, which it almost could have. Uh, and so they started branching out and looking into other mythologies to incorporate because they'd already completely trashed any idea of the timelines for the Greek gods and the Roman uh, equivalents and not and Norse stuff. They had it all in there. Then they touched on Vedic uh, history and uh, Hindu mythology. And boy, oh boy, the fireplace exploded. They uh, sparks everywhere. They had to back off. It's the only it's the only world religion of ancient lineage that complained about the uh, their use in there. Really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe way back when, as Robert just just noted, part mm. of a secret sub Rosa um, belief system that they were getting too close to uncovering. I don't know and that but they were certainly into all that stuff and they had uh they were not disrespectful of any religions that they in, indulged in so it was it was odd and it's easy enough to look up you know there's a few episodes where they they had they put their toes in the water and there's actually a declaration of 
uh, intent to stop doing it, an explanation of how how they got all these complaints. Oh, that's so Shakespearean. I think they doth protest a bit too much. Yeah, too much or too little. Okay. I don't know. Before but we lose the, there's another before, before we lose the time, we're six minutes till the end. I want to point out my items: thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Uh, thirteen is the domes over the moon, as photographed by a brilliant astronomer from Earth, compared to bullet holes in glass. So you can see that the so-called rays around the craters of the moon are actually miles above the craters. And the first person to notice this was Al Warden on Apollo 15, which is my number 14 item, who said in the official NASA transcripts of the Apollo 14 mission, it is very strange the way the ejecta from Proclus crosses Chrysium. It's almost like flying above a haze layer and looking down through the haze. It looks like it is suspended over it. Ding, 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 ding. That's an old Art Bell reference. Yes. Right. I remember reading that in the senior manager's briefing reports, and it, it really struck me. There were a lot. There's another thing. I, I believe that there is weather in different regions of the moon. I've seen night uh, side pictures of the Orient, uh, Mare Oriental. Mare Oriental, which is on the left-hand side of the moon, just tucked around the horizon. Far side, yeah. And when Apollo 14 uh, flew over it, they took a whole series of photographs, and there were vapors, huge billows of water. They're not vapors. They're the glass. It's the glass. Yes, there's no vapors. No, no, no vapors. You know how we know? Because of the instruments put on the surface to detect exactly such things. Nothing. I can tell the difference between glass and vapors. This was smoke, okay? This was smoke. No, it out. looks like smoke because you don't have ground truth. Let's be a little rigorous here. And someday um, we can know. Now, well, before, way, this, uh, the, the piece that I put in in the, cha- in the chat, it says it's called a Larry Pool. It's very short. And it would be beautiful if you ended the show with, with that uh, Hindu dancing music, Alaripu. It's only 2 minutes, 39 seconds, and you'd be doing the world a favor. Okay. If you can cue it up, uh, Keith, I would really love to hear it. You'll understand the joy just which, simply from which, hearing. Which, which one is it? I don't see it. What's it called? It's Alaripu, Alaripu, the last one. Oh, okay. Well, then let's do it right now. All right. Oh, great. Thank you. Hey, Thank we, you very much. Let me, if I can cue this up here. Come on, boys and girls. Okay, there we are. It's taking a moment. Thank you. 
Wow. Thank all my guests this morning. Unfortunately, we don't have time to do that with them on the air because we're at the end of the show. Uh, Pay attention to my item number 15. I talked about it last week. It's the Amateur Citizen Scientist Telescope being produced by a company in France that can ultimately resolve all this. Is there a dome around the moon? Is it thicker over the poles? All can be seen with this technology married to a smartphone from planet Earth. So until next weekend, when we're live again, Saturday and Sunday, uh, everybody should pay attention to tomorrow night. You should listen live for free to Oppenheimer Part 2, which has an awful lot to do, as you'll find out shortly, with the Vedic history and traditions that we discussed in light of the Indian breathtaking success on the moon tonight. So until then, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.